a small crowd a few weeks ago when Ben spoke, and uh, I kind of agree with Matt. I think it was one of the best light collectives we've ever had. So, because um, I know for me, this time that we have uh, here together is is more than just like. I don't know, it's not just something to do on a Tuesday evening. Uh, for me, and I'm not even in college anymore, uh, but for me, it's like, I don't know, refreshing. It's relaxing to be able to get out here with you guys, um, be around my brothers and sisters in Christ, and to just kind of um, be ourselves and be encouraged by one another and encourage one another. Uh, and it's a really important thing that we do. So I'm glad you guys are all here. And hopefully that's what happens today. Hopefully you guys don't leave here uh, more stressed out than when you came, but rather... Uh, that hopefully through Ephesians we can um, have the gospel uh, impact our lives and and renew us as it does every day because that's what scripture does for us. Uh, so if you guys have your Bibles or Bible app, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, verses 17 down through the end of the chapter through verse 32, Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. All right, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in your spirit, in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Matt, could you do me a favor? Could you go turn on the lights? It's kind of hard for me to read my text. I would appreciate that. So. Plus, it'll help make sure everybody stays awake. So that's a good thing, too. You know, like these fluorescent lights along the side? Yeah. Okay, cool. He never answered me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so um, I'll tell you one thing. I, I was talking with Matt earlier today about Facebook. And I'm not on Facebook, like, all that often. But every now and then, I'll get on there. And I'll tell you what I really like is to see those, like, time-lapse things that they put, not time-lapse, but like, um, thank you, Matt, that's much better. I know it's noisy, but it's much better. Uh, you know, like those 
things that they put on your Facebook, I guess Facebook sends you, like, this happened eight years ago, or this happened four years ago, or, or this happened ten years ago, depending on how long you've been on Facebook. You guys get those, right? Not the only ones? Yeah. I really enjoy getting those. Uh, I got one recently. It was um, me and my cousin Colin. And my cousin Colin is, like, I don't know, way younger than me. And when he was 13 years old, he was already, like, six feet tall. Um, and by the time he was 15, he was, like, 6'6". Six, six. And, it, like, they put a, the, t the time, long time ago, whatever photo uh, was of he and I four years ago. And he's standing next to me. And literally, like, his shoulder's, like, right here. And his head's, like, way up here. And, um, and it was really cool to see that. And I see those photos come across my uh, Facebook page. And, and it reminds me of, like, I don't know what things used to be like. And I see these pictures, and I think we all do. We see these pictures of ourselves from so long ago. And we can't help but think of, like, how different things are now from how things were then. Or sometimes how much someone is the same if there's a picture in it. But usually what happens when you see those pictures? You're like, man, I look so different, or so-and-so looks so different. Or, wow, how things have changed since high school or, or since whenever. We, we see these pictures of what our life was like then. And we can't help but just like reflect on, on how it's so much different now and, and what it looks like now compared to how it did then. Well, that's kind of what Paul does for us in the first part of our text here in Ephesians. Paul is essentially like giving us a picture of, hey, this is what you used to look like. It's like when Facebook puts that photo up, hey, this is what life used to be like for you. Paul does that for us in the first part of Ephesians from uh, verse 17 uh, down through verse 19. Uh, in verse 17, Paul's pointing to the Gentiles at first, referring to, uh, the, to unbelievers, reminding us of who we were before Christ. And we know that he's talking about us because he says in verse 17, he says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Indicating that when he's talking about Gentiles here, he's not just talking about like, those other people that have nothing to do with us. When he's talking about the Gentiles here, he's talking about unbelievers. In other words, he's talking about what your life used to be like before Christ. And so he, he points to Gentiles, unbelievers, and says, hey, like, don't walk that way anymore, and then proceeds to describe what it's like to walk like an unbeliever. He points to unbelievers to remind us of who we used to be. And look again at what we used to be like before God was in our life. Verse 18 and 19, it says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Notice the description here in verse 18. What does Paul say about them? He says, that, uh, he says a few things, but he finishes verse 18 by saying, due to their hardness of heart. The hardness of heart has made them ignorant to the truth. And that's the same with us before we were in Christ. Our hard hearts made us ignorant to the truth of God. And this idea of a hardness of heart is not a way that anybody wants to be described. When you think about who else has been described this way of having a hard heart? Pharaoh in Exodus. Pharaoh, the guy that, that murdered all these Hebrew children, the guy that enslaved and treated terribly the, the people of Israel that made them work and, and whenever things got tough, he made things even harder on them. This guy was described as, as having a hard heart. There were no worse 
Rather, uh, we were no worse. Uh, in fact, we're com- we were comparable to the man who enslaved and mistreated the people of Israel and killed all the Hebrew boys. And I find it interesting how in verse 19, uh, the sin that Paul uses to describe unbelievers, those who have hard hearts, those who are alienated from God, is the sin of sensuality, the sin of sexual sin, sexual misconduct. Because, guys, the reality is, and we see this in Scripture, that idolatry is always accompanied by sexual sin. In every case, as you look at the Old Testament and the people uh, that God told the Israelites, you are not to have anything to do with these people because they worship idols. The way they were always described and the sins that they participated in always included sexual, sexual sin. We think of Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of, of um, all of these things, of Jericho, of, of Nineveh, all these wicked places that were marked by both idolatry, which, was, which is always accompanied, accompanied by sexual sin. And we may think, well, why, why does that mean we are? I mean, here in America, we don't serve idols, right? We don't have you know, an Asherah that we've set up to, to worship. We don't have this golden image like, like in Daniel that we're bowing down to. But recognize, guys, that anytime someone is worshiping something other than God, that's an idol. Now, here in America, I mean, we know that the idols that people worship typically aren't stone images or golden images or whatever, but rather idols of ourselves. We worship, our, worship ourselves. We worship money. We worship these things that are, that they're, it's idolatry. Anything that we worship other than God is idolatry. And so it shouldn't be any surprise to us that that's what Paul points out here. He points to sexual sin, which always accompanies idolatry, to say this is what marked your life. This is what you were known by. It's for sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we see this in our culture today. We see this in every culture. That the uh, cultures that are marked by unbelief and people that are marked by unbelief in Christ, groups that are marked by unbelief in Christ, every single time they're greedy to practice these things, ready, longing for it like it's going to fulfill them, like it's going to bring some sort of fulfillment to their life hungry for these things that are sinful and wicked, and it always includes sexual sin, which is why Paul includes that here. This is how he describes us. He describes us as those who were hard in our heart, that we were ignorant, that we were callous, and greedy to practice every kind of impurity, including sensuality. But then in verse 20 comes the, the classic Paul but. I love whenever, and it happens all the time in Paul's writings, where he'll be saying one thing. We see this earlier in Ephesians. We see this in Galatians. We see this all the time in Paul's writings in, in Romans, where he'll, he'll describe this scene or he'll describe us the way we were before Christ or, or where we're headed or, or whatever. And then he drops in this awesome word, this word but, right in the middle of it. And immediately the tone changes from what once was to what now is true in our life. And we see that in 20 through 24 in Ephesians 4. It says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard of him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This classic Paul but is used here to describe the way our lives look now and the way they should look now 
in comparison to what they used to look like, the old self. And we see this language Paul uses here. He talks about the old self and that we are to put off the old self, those former things that marked our lives as unbelievers, that still mark the lives of unbelievers. We're to put those things off and to put on the new self, to put on the things which do mark the life of a believer, to put on the things that believers, like to put on the things that mark the life of a believer. And notice the human agency involved here. We're not to be passive in this process of, of holiness, of righteousness, of, of becoming more like Christ. But in fact, we're, we're called to be very active in this process. He says to put off, to put on. These are commands that he's telling us, that he's giving us. Do this. We're called to be active in this process. And then notice in verse 24, where he says, what does he say in verse 24? Or excuse me, verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. He encourages them to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. What's Paul talking about here? He's including the mind intentionally. There's this, this idea in much of Christendom today of kind of Christianity absent of the mind. And people will want, they'd want to just, I don't really care about talking about theological things, concepts. You know what? I just believe, and that's enough, right? Isn't it enough to just believe? Like, I have Jesus, and I get emotions whenever I'm at, at church. Like, you know, that's my religion, right? Isn't that enough? And many in our churches today, their Christianity is built on nothing more than emotion and, and concepts like that. Rather than, than a renewing of their mind, rather than a, a study of God's word and an intellect that's being involved in Christianity here. That's what Paul is telling us here. Our intellect is not absent of this process. You know, we talk about uh, faith in Christ. And some people in the world want to talk about, like, oh, well, I can never believe in Christ because it's a blind faith. Well, guys, our faith is not a blind faith. It is faith, and we don't have all the answers. We don't know everything. We can't know everything. Otherwise, faith wouldn't be necessary. But we do know that our faith is a reasonable faith. And it's not working apart from logic and apart from reason. We know that it's working in tandem with those things and that we can learn about who God is. We can study the concepts of God. We can, we can know God more. And that involves our minds. And Paul is making that clear to us here that what's involved in this process of putting off the old self, putting on the new self, is a renewing of our minds, a learning and educating. That's what he says in, in 20 and 21 too, right? That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It involves teaching. It involves learning. It involves educating ourselves, renewing our minds by the power of the, the word of God and, and discipleship and, and knowledge. Like our minds are not absent from this. And Paul's making that very clear in this. And the way Paul talks about the putting off of the old self and putting on the new self, he's talking about it in terms of, of almost like old clothes, like taking off those old dirty rags that you were, you were in before Christ, that you're, you're stuck in these rags, but, but you're not anymore. God has given you these beautiful new clothes to wear, to put on. Put on these new clothes of, of righteousness and holiness that have been given to you by Christ. Like that's what Paul's, the language Paul is using here. Put off those things. Put on these things. Paul then goes on to give a whole laundry list 
of sins and habits that we're to put off in verses 25 through 32. What does he say? He says, therefore, when you see the word therefore, by the way, you should always want to know what the word therefore is there for. You guys ever heard this before? Because people will read this. Someone will like start in a paragraph and they'll read, therefore. I don't know. And then they'll go on and read. But this word therefore is important. It's saying, okay, in light of what I just said, the following is true. Okay, this is a continuation of an argument, a continuation of a thought. So Paul's saying, therefore, since you have put off the old self, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We could go through here this whole laundry list of things that Paul has told us. Put this off. Put that off. Put this off. We could go through and break each one down. And there was a lot to be gleaned here from, from this list that Paul gives us. I mean, for example, you notice he says, be angry and do not sin. It doesn't say never get angry. I mean, we know that there is a a place for righteous anger. There are things that should cause our blood to boil. But we don't sin in our anger, nor do we let the sun go down on our anger. We turn those things over to God. And those things which are making us mad better be the things that would make God mad. Otherwise, we have no reason to be mad over them. What does it mean to be angry and do not sin? It's such a weird concept for us. We think of anger and we think of somebody just completely losing it. Like the dude off uh, Inside Out. Like he gets mad, he just goes nuts and like fire shoots out. And we think about anger like that. Well, no, that's, that's getting angry and sinning, I'm pretty sure. Anyone with that intensity. But, uh, but anyway, I digress. But there's so much that could be gleaned here from this text of this list of things. Like these things mark the Christian life. To put off these things. Putting off these things. These are all bad things to be gotten rid of. And instead of... Going through these things, which we could do and just list them one by one and be like, okay, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? What we can also do is we can just flip over to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul basically records the opposite of all these things when he writes down the fruit of the Spirit. Because think about it, guys. What's the opposite of lying? Goodness and faithfulness. The opposite of sinful anger is patience and joy. The opposite of slander and malice it's kindness and love. All of these things that Paul writes here in Ephesians are things that are being expelled as the fruits of the spirits are fruit of the spirit are being born in our lives. In other words, if the if the Holy Spirit is working in us and we're pursuing holiness and righteousness and these fruits are being produced in our lives, they are the exact opposite of these things. They can't both exist together, right? You can't in in, in goodness and faithfulness be lying to your neighbors, right? 
You can't, out of patience and joy, be sinfully angry. You can't, out of kindness and love, speak with slander and malice. So when we think about the fact that, like, if the Holy Spirit's producing these things in our life, these bad things that Paul lists here are going to naturally be being pushed out as we're pursuing holiness, as the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives. And have you guys ever wondered what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit? I know I have. If you guys are ever like me, like, I've been like, man, what the heck does that mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Because it sounds like this really, like, high, lofty, polluted, kind of like, I could never understand what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. But guys, I'll tell you what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit is to pursue these things, to walk in the things that the Holy Spirit is directly opposed to and is working to expel in your life and is working to produce the opposite. So when you're living in these things still that you've been called to put off, that's what grieves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in your life to try and produce the opposite of this. And when you're doing these things, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. It means that we do the opposite of what the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to produce. That's what he means when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He means don't be doing these things. The Spirit is working in your life to get rid of these things, to purge them from your life, to produce the new man, holy and acceptable before God. And when you're engaging in these things, you are grieving the Holy Spirit because you're working against him. That's what he means when he says that. And I want to remind you guys here that Paul is talking to believers. Paul's talking to people who have been born again. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. That's what he says, therefore, therefore, since God has done this, and you are now to put off the old man, put on the new man, he's talking to born-again believers. He's talking to believers who are still struggling with these sins. He's telling this to the church. He's saying, put these things away, because like Paul in Romans 7, many times we do not do what we want, but the very thing that we hate is what we continue to do. Many times we see in our members a war being waged. A war being waged between our mind that is set on Christ and our flesh, which is still captive to sin. And we see this war being waged. And that's the people that Paul is writing to. In other words, guys, don't think for a second that you are above these things or that I don't don't struggle with any of this, so I don't really have to worry about it because I'm already saved. I've already put on the new self, so I don't really need to worry about this. I'm born again. No, Paul is writing this to born-again believers, saying, don't let these things back in. Put these things to death. We reckon ourselves dead to sin. We put off that old man along with his, his filth and his wretchedness. More than that, we put him to death. We put to death the old man. We kill our sin, mortify our sin. Every time we see it, every chance we get, when it springs up in our life, which it does daily, we put it to death, we kill it, we destroy it right then and there. Because given the opportunity, the devil will take advantage. That's why he says in chapter 20, or in verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil, because he will seize it. The devil would love nothing more than to trip us up, even though we're in Christ. He would love nothing more than to trip us up, to distract us, to cause us to be slowed down and stumbling because of our sin. He would love for that to be the case. Uh, Has everyone in here seen 
the show Stranger Things, both seasons. Well, I am going to spoil it a little bit for you, not the whole show. But there's this, there's this part in Stranger Things where this one kid, I think his name's Dustin. He's the kid that like doesn't have teeth at the beginning of the show. Is that, is that Dustin? Yeah. So Dustin finds this like little critter looking thing. It almost looks like a little lizard. Uh, he finds it in his trash can. And he's like, oh, man, what a cute little lizard. And he's like, oh, I want to take it in. He takes it in. He puts it in his aquarium. And he, like, loves on this lizard. He, like, gives him little things to eat. He learns, oh, he doesn't like the sun, so I need to get him shade so he doesn't like the sun because that hurts him. I don't want that to happen. So I'll kind of tuck him away, hide him there, uh, give him the food he needs, keep him fed. And he's, like, keeping this nasty little creature uh, as a pet. And we learn later that this creature is actually from the upside down, the bad place in the show, if you don't know what that is. Uh, and this, he's, like, keeping this thing alive as a pet. And the whole time you're going, why is he keeping this thing? He doesn't know it's, like, Evil, this can't be a good thing. And he's keeping this, this little critter alive as a pet, and it's growing, it's getting bigger and bigger, and, and pretty soon it's like, well, it's getting pretty big. And then it like uh, one day they come home and the cat's gone. You know, oh, where's the cat? And the little thing has eaten the cat because it's grown to like this size. I turned like roars at it. It's got like these teeth and everything like that. It's, this tiny little creature has now turned into this monster that has grown to a size that it's uncontrollable. He has to put it in the basement. It digs a hole out of his basement. I mean... He keeps this little creature, which looks and seems so innocent, even cute to a point to this kid, and he keeps it. And the more he keeps it, the more he just lets it stay alive instead of killing it then and there. It grows and grows and grows, and eventually becomes something too big for him to handle. And guys, don't we do the same thing with our sin? We, we see sin in our lives. We see it appearing in this corner or that corner of our lives, and we think, ah, it's not that big a deal. As long as I don't let anyone see it, I kind of keep it hidden and tucked away, it'll be okay. I can manage that. Like, it's not that big a deal. I don't really want to give that up because I think I can manage it and I can still kind of take advantage of it a little bit and get a little bit of joy out of it and then just, as long as nobody knows. And we just let it foster and we let it grow and instead of putting it to death, pretty soon it's going to be a, this big monster that we can barely contain anymore and it's going to attack us and it's going to bite us in the butt. But we believe the lie that, no, 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 I can just contain it as long as I keep it fed the right meal and I treat it the right way and I keep it in the right place, it'll be okay and no one will know and I can just kind of live with my sin. But guys, that is a lie straight from the devil. As soon as we've done that, we've given the devil opportunity. When we see our sin, and, and guys, it's easy to picture this and think about this with a sin like, like lust. We think, oh yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm fighting that. I'm putting it to death. Every time it pops up, I, I put it to death. I mortify that. But guys, this is other areas too. When we have frustrations with our mom or our dad or our, our husband or wife or girlfriend or boyfriend and we like have these moments of anger and we just let it go. We're like, gosh, they're, like, they're so stupid or whatever. And we just kind of live with that. But guys, when we have these moments, when we experience hatred and, and all these evil thoughts towards the people we love, we need to confess that to God. Not even the people that we love only, but even the people that we don't like, the people that we hate, the people that we look at and we go, man, thank goodness I'm not like that. Because if we remember back to the beginning of our text, Paul reminds us that whoever those people are that we think are so evil and gross and wicked, and we kind of think it's okay to sort of hate them, that was us. That was us before Christ. The only thing that separates us from where they are now 
is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's it. All of these sins. This is just, just another example of something. That we, when these things creep into our head, we need to confess our sin and repent of our sin and put it to death, turn from it, instead of letting it grow and letting it foster. But we don't. The end of that sin is nothing more than death and destruction. That's why we're called to put it to death. Our life, when we are, are putting on the new man and putting off the old man like we are called to do, looks totally different, dramatically different than the life of an unbeliever, than the life of what we used to be. So it's like we can now look at essentially a Facebook time hop of our life and see that old man that we were. And it's important that we remember that. It's, that's why Paul reminds us. It's important that we remember who we were before Christ so that we can recognize what it is that he's done in our lives and what he's done for us. The fact that he chose to save us is a miracle. And guys, that's our motivation to put off the old man, put to death our sin, and to put on the new man, to take on new life, to pursue Christ. And then we look at where Paul ends. I love this because what does Paul end with? He ends with the gospel. If there was like ever a, like a, the most condensed version of the gospel ever, it would probably be God in Christ forgave you. Like that'd be like the most condensed version of the gospel ever. But that's where Paul ends. He ends with the gospel. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why and how has God in Christ forgave you? Paul has not only said, here's your motivation, remember this, reminding us of the gospel, but also giving us zero excuse. Saying, hey, don't forget what God has forgiven you of in Christ. Now go and forgive other people. Now go and be kind to other people. Go and put off malice, put off slander. He doesn't do those things to you. Remember all that he's forgiven you of? Now go and do those things. Do likewise. That's where Paul ends. He ends with the gospel, reminding us of what it is that God has done for us in Christ and encouraging us to do likewise. That's what we're called to do, guys. And I know it's hard, and I know it's, it's a struggle, and I know, like Paul, oftentimes we go, wretched man that I am, and we say, how on earth can I win? I know the good things to do. I know what I ought to do, and I know those things I'm not supposed to do, but for whatever ever, ever reason, I keep on doing it. It's like I am incapable of doing the right thing. But in Christ, we know that we have the strength to pursue him. And as Paul says in Philippians, one thing I do know, not that I've already attained it, but I put behind me what, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward towards the goal, the upward prize of the call of Christ. That's what Paul says. That's our motivation. We're never going to get this thing perfect here on earth. We're always going to struggle with this laundry list of things that Paul gives us here at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. But one thing we do, we forget what lies behind. And we run forward toward the goal that Christ has prepared for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And God, I am uh, the worst at doing these things. I am the, like Paul says, chief of sinners. And I, I, I know the truth. I know what you have said to put off. And yet so often, Lord, I let these sins foster in my heart and I don't put them to death. These thoughts creep into my head. And Lord, I sometimes just get too cozy with them. Lord, forgive me of that. Lord, help me, help us to put to death the old man, to reckon ourselves dead to our sin and alive to you, the new life that we have in you.
That's our reality now. That's where we stand. We're not there. Lord, I pray that this would be true of our minds, that we would recognize that, that this is something that is not absent of our, of our thinking, of our understanding, of our minds. But, Lord, we are called to, to love you even through our learning, through our understanding, through our minds. Lord, may we do that. May we continue to learn about you, to, to pursue discipleship, to pursue uh, the reading of your word and the knowledge of your word, understanding scripture, Lord. And, Lord, through that, may you mold us more and more and more into the image of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.